Okay. Welcome back to Conspiranormal, everyone. We took a little bit of a break there with uh, a nice little live stream in between. But uh, we got a great show for you guys tonight. But before we get to that, Serfiel is back. I'm back from a, a long journey. I'm now in the uh, undisclosed location of the <laughs> northwestern part of the United States on a journey that, that began at near the grave of Meriwether Lewis there on the Natchez Trace outside of Nashville, Tennessee. <laughs> nice. But uh, I am here now, but still on Conspiranormal, though with a Pacific and Lemurian orientation. That's right. That's right. I, I'm still in the Atlantean orientation. So some, so someone has to represent, I suppose. Right. The, the eternal, the eternal conflict. <laughs> right. Well, tonight's show, hopefully going to have two guests, but right now we've got Adam go rightly with us and we are going to talk to him about his book, stalking the great whore. Well, the last, I say it's of James Shelby Downard. <laughs> I say it's your book, but it's actually, I guess, the writings of James Shelby Downard. So, with a foreword by Go Rightly. With a foreword by Go Rightly. And we're hopefully going to have Dr. Richard Spence here with us as well. Hopefully, he'll show up here in a bit. But I guess, where do we want to start, Sophia? I guess we could talk about the basics of Downard, or do we want to start with how he came to have yeah. this manuscript? Well, I just wanted to uh, say that we've been waiting on this for a long time, and it was quite the effort. We know you had a real intense uh, job in uh, having to compile and edit and get the stuff transferred over to uh, a medium that we can all uh, <laughs> check out. And it was a lot more material than I expected and was uh, very happy with the stuff. We were lo really looking forward to it, like I said. And yeah, I guess to start out, we kind of have to give a brief introduction to James Shelby Downard, who he was, and uh, why his stuff was so influential. Because it's been a long time since we actually did talk about James Shelby Downard, episode 33, uh -huh. by the way, but that was a long time ago. That's been probably 10 years ago now. So, And that was probably could, about really... Adam's previous book about James Shelby Downard that, that he did write. Right, right. But yeah, we should get a little little primer on who the great James Shelby Downard was. Oh man, no, I'm wishing uh, Spence was here. He has all the dates and everything. But uh, <laughs> let's see what year he was born in. Uh, trying to remember, I know his birth date is the same as mine, March twelfth. Uh, but I think uh, without looking at Wikipedia, sometime in the early 1910s, maybe 1913. Yeah, I think Perhaps. it was 1912, okay. somewhere, around, somewhere along there, yeah. And so he came up through a uh, family, and if you listen to uh, those great episodes of um, our friend, uh, the uh, Nathan, and uh, why, why am I uh, spacing on the name of his uh, show now? Pen Penny Royal. Penny Royal, yeah. Penny Royal. He, they get into a lot of... Uh, great uh, downward history in uh, one of those early episodes. But uh, yeah, he was born in uh, Ardmore, Oklahoma, I believe. And his uh, father was a, uh, among other things, he got the early patents for asphalt paving and road construction. So he downward kind of came up through uh, his family had a little, 
money. So he had that uh, going on. And uh, but there's a lot of oddness there that too that Spence can uh, speak to if we get them on. They they moved around the uh, country quite a bit, and uh, a lot of this uh, Downard's uh, perspective of what was going on comes up in his early books, uh, The Carnivals of Life and Death, which was the first part of his uh, autobiography, or that's how it was advertised when it was put out by Feral House several years ago. And Downard claimed, uh, basically, that uh, he was the victim, you know, at a very young age of this uh, kind of Masonic, uh, alliance fraternity that of uh, people that were out to get him or screw him over for some reason that seemed to have connections with his family as well and also in the mix they had uh, the Ku Klux Klan were enemies of his early on and he battled uh, according to Downard in his book Carnival of Life and Death at a very young age he battled these people who were trying to set him up as some type of uh, sacrifice. He calls it the uh, pharmacos, kind of a ritual uh, sacrifice uh, of these, these groups. It's never quite clear why they were harassing him and persecuting him. But this harassment, uh, according to Downard, went on uh, through the course of his uh whole life until uh, he ended up uh, passing away in uh, uh, Nashville in the late 1990s. And there's uh, the legendary stories where he uh, traveled across the country, towing his Airstream uh, trailer constantly uh, with the uh, Illuminati on his tail. The Illuminati or the Masonic sorcerers or <laughs> whatever you want to call them. And he was also somebody that was into looking at to Fortean anomalies. So that was part of the thing he was doing when he was traveling across the uh, country, allegedly, you know. Uh, a lot of people uh, suspected uh, that uh, the downward persona was uh, made up, you know, for many, many years that he was perhaps a literary uh, device, a literary construct created by really the handful of people who claim to have met him in the uh, starting in the early 70s, such as William Grimstead and Michael Hoffman and a guy named Charles uh, Sanders. And later on, uh, Adam Parfrey as well met with him, kind of uh, started corresponding in the late 80s and uh, the 90s. They got to know each other, and it was really Parfrey who uh, brought down or helped push him more into popular culture and, uh, you know, people started uh, really uh, – learning about him and his crazy theories in uh, like the late 80s. I think it was 89, the first edition of uh, Apocalypse Culture came out with the mind-blowing uh, essay called uh, King Kill 33. Yes. <laughs> which had to do with this far-flung conspiracy theory he had that uh, – 
the JFK assassination was part of this uh, Masonic conspiracy that uh, was uh, based on latitude, longitude, the 33rd degree in particular, and um, uh, all part of a kind of alchemical ritual that uh, was set in action uh, basically uh, to bring about a new eon, perhaps a new world order, something <laughs> that the Masonic sorcerers were plotting and devising. And part of it had to do with uh, the moon landings and rituals associated with them and uh, connected with uh, Jack Parsons. He was on the 33rd degree there in uh, California and a Depth, a student prodigy of Alistair uh, Crowley, and it was all had to do with uh, the making manifest of all that was unseen. Once again, this alchemical ritual uh, that really started, uh, or once again, downer theorized with the Trinity bomb blast that uh, took uh, place as part of the Manhattan Project near. Uh, White Sands, Alamogordo uh, area, and uh, that was kind of the beginning of that ritual. Once again, that's on the 33rd degree, or kind of, sort of, on the... <laughs> he's always yeah, he takes some, these... some topographical yeah. liberty sometimes. Uh-huh, right. And what, once again, this kind of had to do with the... Uh, similar to what uh, Parsons was supposedly up to of creating a homunculus um, and Parsons was an explosives expert and he helped uh, you know create the original liquid fueled rocket technology and it was this, this uh, basically had to do with splitting the atoms and creating this new entity and uh, part of it had, it, it, uh, it's kind of based on at least Downard's interpretation of the Kabbalah and how originally there, uh, the male and female were one entity and uh, at some point they were split, perhaps, you know, in the Garden of Eden, Adam's rib, and so they became separate the male and female uh, energies, the male and female principle, you know. And so uh, part of the thing Downer talked about was this, uh, these experiments, uh, the type of stuff that uh, Parsons was involved with and what maybe was going on at uh, Trinity was to uh, once again uh, – recombine these the f f male and female principles and bring them back together. And uh, one of the things he talks about, there was this uh, thing called the jumbo there, this uh, large, uh, basically empty canister, I guess you could call it. And uh, nobody was really quite sure what the purpose was of this thing, but, you know, down and theorized that, uh, they were using that to basically create this uh, hermaphrodite entity, the homunculus. <laughs> like, like one does, you know, yeah. on, on a normal weekend. So that, that, that there's a lot to chew on there. Um, 
And, yes. <laughs> uh, in the 30s, another key part of the story is this woman he married by the name of Ann Parton, who... Uh, Good old later... Tennessee girl, as I found out today. Well, yep. Mm -hmm. Yep. Who Downer later claimed that his Masonic harassers uh, basically uh, mind controlled her and recruited her into this cult. Uh, kind of like, uh, you know, the whole thing about if you've read the Project Monarch yeah. stuff about presidential candidates, they yeah. basically, according to Downer, he started calling her the great whore. They were using her in these rituals across the uh, country that the political elite were involved in the rich, these uh, sex magic uh, rituals. Once again, plays into this whole larger conspiracy. And she was uh, basically abducted and manipulated by, once again, Masonic, Masonic sorcerers, he calls them at times. Other times he refers to them as the Illuminati. And through the books, he actually talks about two warring groups. One are the Masonic sorcerers, and the other are a bunch of Mexican brujas and brujos. And they're kind of, those two groups are both pitted against Downard, or he ends up in the middle of their these two different factions. And these two factions sometimes overlap and cooperate together, and other times they're uh, opposed to each other. And so that's, you know, that, that also, uh, those two groups are, uh, they show up in this uh, latest book, uh, uh, Stalking the Great Whore, The Lost Writings of James Shelby Downard, now available on Amazon. Yes, sir. Why don't you help me fill in the gaps here? I know you know a lot about uh, yeah. Downard. What, what, am I, what haven't I touched upon there? I just wanted to say that the impact of James Shelby Downard's writings, you mentioned King Kill 33, and I think for a lot of people, it was nothing less than you know, almost initiatory because it was introducing you to a whole way of thinking, uh, a whole worldview that enchants the world and sees, you know, sorcery and magic everywhere uh, in, you know, mundane, modern, modern life. And so I think, you know, that's really what uh, this is about and and it's a foreshadowing of so much stuff it's a continuation of i think older things from like the early 20th century anti-occult conspiracy theory but it really brings it into uh, our modern times mm -hmm. um, and like you said that's it's so much foreshadowing of these themes that would become so prevalent in conspiracy theory of targeted individuals monarch mind control and uh, you know this; uh, these new writings are especially elaborating on things that he kind of mentioned in passing, and in, in some other uh, writings, uh, he's really detailing the the mechanisms uh, behind how he thinks this this sorcery is uh, mm -hmm. works. And I think the other really important thing is that uh, by bringing sorcery into this modern world, he is viewing science and the development of science and technology 
uh, through this lens as a continuation of sorcery, whereas these groups maybe used to use things like mesmerism, they would take those same principles and use technology to mm-hmm. control people, uh, you know, in the same kind of model. So, right, uh, yeah, and he, he uh, talks about mesmerism a bit in the book as well, and how it's been combined with uh, technology by the so-called uh, Masonic sorcerers. Um, yeah, and along those same lines, I mean, a lot of the stuff that was going on with 9-11, people were using the term predictive programming. That was all very downwardian. Uh, oh, yeah. And then later, uh, synchromysticism came in, which was a little bit, you know, there was a uh, fun sort of element with some of the synchromystic stuff, but there was also a lot of... Uh, paranoia that seeped into that kind of scene, I guess you could call (laughs) synchromysticism a scene or a something that for a while, I don't know how. Yeah. Like a blog scene kind of in the Mm -hmm. uh, first decade of of the century. Yeah. While a lot of them were not, um, uh, you know, public and outwardly influenced by downer. I mean, you can see it everywhere and and you know what downer represents is a kind of proto synchromysticism for sure mm-hmm. um in his methodologies and that's another thing i think makes downer uh so interesting is that he, his methodologies involve these like exhaustive uh etymological stuff which is him you know dissecting words and their meanings mm-hmm. and uh words having layers of like esoteric meanings um, and how they're connected to certain places and that yeah. whole uh, bit. He calls yeah. that Masonic word wizardry and mm-hmm. traces it back to the ancient pagan world. And uh, another characteristic is that it's often nonlinear. Um, so, you know, things become like intertwined and connected uh, mostly like through this word wizardry. <laughs> and it's really hard for a lot of people to read some of the stuff. I mean, it's hard for me to read it and uh, everyone yeah, has it's, difficulties it's, with it. Cause it's just all over the place for me. I'm kind of the uninitiated here. Like I uh, tried, I tried to read carnivals of life and I tried, yeah, exactly. <laughs> I, tried, I tried to leave. I tried to read carnivals of life and death. I mean, and a lot of carnivals of life or death are just these like really just outlandish stories that he tells. A lot of this was much more, it was just word association all mm-hmm. over the place. He says, yeah. and and this, this means this, which sounds like this, which is all about this, which also sounds like this. And it just goes on and on and on. And it, it's just, uh, we were, we were talking before we started recording that like the, the, the way I started, just like the way I just took this book was just like, okay, I don't know if I'm going to retain any of this, but I'll just go along for the ride. And that's kind of what you have to do. You just kind of got to go along for the ride of what he's writing and not worry about whether or not like try to understand it because it will probably, it will probably drive you crazy. Mm -hmm. (laughs) As it very well might have driven uh, James Shelby downer crazy because that's what some of the book gets into. He makes allusions to, uh, uh, 
different mental facilities that he may or may have not been in. It kind of starts with Walter Reed Hospital. Mm-hmm. And uh, he basically uh, stated, well, man, it gets really involved, but it uh, partly it had to do, uh, Downard claims that he uh, was in contact uh, with, uh, Franklin Roosevelt during the period Roosevelt was president claimed right. he uh, visited him in the White House. He had conversations with Eleanor Roosevelt and um, Downard was always coming across treasures and some of those are the million dollar gold certificates. Mm-hmm. Others are the strange decoding or weird devices that seem to be early uh, forms of computers and these things would always just show up and uh, he'd go, wow, you know, I've, I found <laughs> uh, perhaps, you know, this, this is really uh, something of great uh, importance to the world or a great value. And then uh, for some reason, he'd, you know, stumble upon these things and they'd be taken away from him. And uh, one had to do with a bunch of books he came across that were filled with scientific wonders or something, I think he says. And uh, part of it had to do with like early uh, atomic, uh, or nuclear fission technology, these type of things. And he thought Franklin Roosevelt should have those books. So he got a hold of uh, Roosevelt. <laughs> <laughs> and Roosevelt said, yeah, I want those scientific wonders and we'll pay you a good amount. And he got a huge check. And he was just like, wow, crazy. That, they seem to pay me way more money. But then the check was worthless for some reason. And it gets into the silver... Uh, million dollar gold certificates stuff and so he uh so he bought himself a a sporty uh sports car a bulgatti or something he called it and he was in washington dc and he parked it started walking next thing he knew he was in walter reed hospital that's kind of in that first chapter it uh, Mm -hmm. talks about that and that kind of is the beginning of what he is suggesting or hinting was uh, this mind control uh, scenario that was played on him through uh, various means, through drugs, uh, through different type of implants, electronic implants. Uh, They did supposedly did the same thing to his uh, wife as well. And, uh, forgot oh so you know you look and there's there's different mentions of a western state hospital that he it's not clear in the book he has great knowledge of this place where there you saying there's these atrocities going on with the masonic sorcerers and the ku klux klan are involved and they're mistreating the patients but he doesn't really necessarily in uh, uh stalking the great horse says he was uh basically a patient there but then other sources seem to suggest that he was mm-hmm. 
Michael Hoffman had some information uh, that he was in this Western State Hospital. I forget there's another name for this uh, place, too. It was in, I think uh, it's Boulevard. There you go. The Boulevard something institution mm-hmm. in, in West Tennessee, uh, I think. There you go. Yeah. And yeah. Uh, so there's that going on. And then another, uh, I think it's in that uh, first chapter as well. He's talking about, uh, he goes into a third person thing sometimes where it becomes evident he's talking about himself. But for some reason in certain chapters, yeah, he talks about other people people i think he's referring to himself and he he says that there were some men three or two or three men that uh, got sent to this facility out in the uh, uh california desert and uh also arizona desert somewhere in that general area and they were you know part of this um mind control program where they were it sounds like uh, clockwork orange type uh, stuff that uh, was going on with these guys and at one point uh, they realized that they needed to escape and they uh, these men tried to take off and not all of them made it and it's this kind of reference to this thing that had no context until uh Richard Spence in this where he could add some insight into it, came across some newspaper article that listed yeah. a James S. Downard and two or three other individuals escaping this mental institute in uh, Arizona at the same time, you know, Downard was living in the Arizona area. It's a little confusing because the James Downard mentioned in the article didn't quite match uh, the age of James Shelby Downard by three or four years, but you often see those uh, mistakes in newspaper articles. Yeah, and yeah. so I th- we're. Pr- I think I think Spitz says that that it might have actually been a couple. They might have been reversed with another one of the other escapees. Yeah, the ages might have been reversed. It seems pr- pretty yeah. obvious. It's him when you connect all these other dots yeah, of his names, right, right. Uh, you know, having these knowledge of these different mental institutions. So that was uh, something going on in his life. And there's these blank periods, uh, like in the uh, latter part of the 50s, where we <laughs> we have nothing on Downard. And mm-hmm. that might have been one of those time periods where, yeah, he was uh, – in a mental institution for uh, quite a few years. Yeah, it's really disjointed, and it's uh, the biographical information is really scattered. But I mean, he talks about he is in the process in these writings of trying to recall and piece this stuff together. That too, yeah, right. The the limbo of lost memories, like the the title of uh, Spence's uh, essay in the end. But a lot of this is about. Uh, you know, his his purported victimization uh, by these cabals, by these evil scientists, you know, puts him uh, in this unique position to understand the role of this shadow world of, of sorcery uh, because he's been a victim of it, been targeted for this ritualistic assassination uh, that he, you know, sees later, like in the 
assassination of JFK or, um, you know, for this mind control stuff. Um, so his role as this scapegoat and, and victim is, is what, according to him, initiates him into this world and that he's trying to share with us and make us understand, you know? Right, right. We should talk about how you got yeah. this material that has been uh, collected into Stalking the Great Whore. So part of it has to do, I wrote that uh, book, uh, God, I can't even remember the uh, James Shelby Downard's Mystical War. It was a, an attempt at a biography of Downard, and that was back like in the mid-2000s. And, uh, and so, yeah, I got interested in the uh, topic, and that book was kind of well-received, but I was never real happy with it. But it, it was out there, so I was known as one of the downer dudes. Um, and I did some correspondence with Michael Hoffman and uh, Grimstead, the guys who claimed they knew uh, downer during the uh, 70s or so. So I was kind of in that network of people interested in downer, trying to gather information and uh, Adam Parfrey as well was part of that people who were quote unquote downard fans. And so uh, uh, he talked about the carnivals of life and death. Parfrey published that, which as far as the way he uh, uh, basically stated it, it was the first part of downard's autobiography kind of ends, uh, I forget what the dates, but it ends uh, always like in his early 20s or so, I think, in that uh, book. And most everybody assumed that was all there was. And that's how uh, Parfrey stated it in the introduction of that, that uh, it didn't seem like uh, Downard ever finished writing his uh, autobiography. Uh, so, yeah, I, I was, uh, you know, gathering information. I put my own uh, book together. And at some point, uh, I guess it was 2015, William Grimstead uh, contacted me and he said, something significant uh, appears to have happened. And I have what might be part two of Downard's uh, great autobiography. He wasn't quite sure what he had because uh, what had been passed along to him came from a guy named Charles Saunders. Saunders was part of that a group that met with Downard in the early 70s in St. Petersburg, along with Grimstead and Hoffman. And um, according to Sanders, and whenever uh, Sanders was never quite <laughs> clear about the timeline, but it seemed like the mid-1980s or something before Downard left to live you know, in uh, Nashville, he left manus his manuscripts and different stuff with the Sanders guy, and somehow this material was placed on microfiche. If you're at all familiar, your listeners are with what microfiche is. I, pl you guys ever done the microfiche? Uh, oh yeah, thing? 
Oh, oh okay. Long, long time ago. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not sure how much machines are uh, still around. I was using them uh, the last time was like 20 years ago in uh, a library near me. And the last time I went in, they were gone. His history, but it was, you know, the state of the art at one time for storing information back in the 70s or whatever. So that's what this manuscript was on. And it looked to be a lot of stuff. Uh, he Grimstead uh, took the stuff to his library where they had a microfiche reader and he gave me a general idea of what it was. And he said, if since I was like uh, one of the key or main guys, you know, writing about uh, Downard, was I interested in this manuscript? And I said, oh, d definitely. And he said, well, if you split the cost with me for converting it to TIFF files, then uh, uh, I'll let you have the manuscript, you know, but he, he wanted some financial help. So it was like only a hundred bucks or whatever on my part. And so he uh, got them converted into TIFFs, how, whoever he, uh, does that nowadays, and sent it to me. And that was like 2015 or 2016. Then after that, it was just uh, forever working on the uh, manuscript and uh, getting into a lot of inside baseball here. But yeah, there, were, there was a lot to it. Just, you know, taking the TIFFs and trying to do the OCR thing to get them converted to a word doc. And that never worked out very well. You know, I ended up basically uh, took some of that stuff, but it needed to be heavily edited. It probably would have saved more time if I just would have typed the whole thing <laughs> myself to begin with colossal uh, formatting weirdness of gone happened to these various documents and at one point i sent out uh i did a post at historia discordia i thought maybe i can get a bunch of people to help me type this damn thing and a bunch of people volunteered you know and i sent that out and they were all helpful but then uh various chapters people typed up and i fed this on to a document it was all formatted weird and Long story short, I <laughs> spent several more years just getting it, un yeah. you know, <laughs> so I could do something with it. Then, you know, probably spent a couple of years editing while I'm working on other uh, projects, and I'd set it aside. And you know, f finally, this last uh, year, I said, "I'm going to get this fucking <laughs> thing done, or I'll be hassling <laughs> around with it forever." So. That's kind of the, uh, you know, inside baseball stuff. Probably not really exciting to uh, most listeners for, but, you know, for people who. Uh, for all your amateur paranormal archivists out there, I'm sure. Yeah, it's crazy. Very interesting. I think you, you hit on like a common theme, right, with um, calling it Stalking the Great Whore. So why did you choose that, that title? Because that's obviously not what this was originally titled. There was no real. I guess when you had it, there, when you got it, there was really no rhyme or reason to any of it. Um, I discovered later the title, and I've got the uh, 
manuscript open here so I can tell you. But I'm pretty sure the original title of this thing was was uh, uh, Sorcery, Sex, Assassination, and the Science of Symbolism. Mm. And Downard, uh, from what I can tell, started writing this in 1972. And then it... Uh, He's always got this thing. He, he lost the manuscript. It was stolen from him. And I think he started another version in 76. And so that's basically the uh, time frame. That's why the, the manuscript or manuscripts I got, they seem to be two or three different works. You know, you could tell it was different typewriters and stuff. Yeah. yeah. And there, and, uh, you know, one manuscript was incomplete and there was like overlap. So you can see the editorial confusion that comes in and trying mm -hmm. to uh, use the best parts, you know, and but not be repetitive and on and on. So anyway, that was the original title. And I found that through a uh, FOIA request that we did a couple of years ago. Actually, Jack Brewer did it for me, you know. And he brought it up. He said, you want me to do a downward uh, foyer request? Yeah, sure. Why not? Let's see what the hell we can get on this guy. And I don't, uh, I need to uh, actually share this with the world. I've had it for yeah, <laughs> a I'm couple of years. I'm about that. Wow. Okay. I will do that. Because uh, originally, I, the reason I haven't shared it before, I was going to put it into an uh, appendix in this book and that was another problem it was like uh, i had to make a bunch of i put together a very large appendix with stuff but then it was like oh shit this this is too freaking large mm -hmm. of a book for different <laughs> reasons and so i plan to publish that material elsewhere but anyway what the foia files on downward were basically a letter that uh, Downard wrote to the uh, director of the FBI, who was, uh, I think it was uh, the one after uh, J. Edgar Hoover, uh, Clarence Kelly, maybe. And basically, it's just a rambling six page <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. thing uh, accusing the FBI of all kinds of shit. Along the Federal with the Bureau of Inverts. Is yeah. <laughs> I should have mentioned them, too, as his key enemies that are working in uh, collaboration with the Masonic Sorcerers, the Federal <laughs> Bureau of Inverts and the CIA. So and nothing so else it, came back on that FOIA request as far as the, the powers that be uh, weren't interested in Downard like like he thought they were? No, that, that's it. Just this letter he uh, wrote. And anyway... In that letter, it mentions uh, he's. This is I'm working on this book called Sorcery, Sex, Assassination, and the Science of Symbolism. And some of the material in this letter was like it's also in the book, so he's just pulling stuff out. And so it's, it was obvious that was the title of the manuscript I had, but I suspect there are other people with some versions of sorcery, sex, assassination, and, and the science of symbolism, they have maybe similar manuscripts or something, because um, Hoffman has mentioned this, that 
he knew about this name, so he might have a shorter version of this manuscript because he didn't uh, have all the material I had. And just for fear of uh, using that name, then somebody else contesting it or coming out with another version, I just decided maybe yeah. I'll. And so, you know, that name popped into my head at some point, stalking the great whore. And that relates to uh, a recurring theme throughout the autobiographical parts, which is him and his uh, ex-wife that you that you mentioned. Yeah, at one point after they separate, he's following her across the countries because he's trying to bust this racket or find out what the, the Masonic sorcerers are up to, what they're doing with her, and he, you know chases her around the uh, country and some of the scenes are in California. Uh, and other ones are uh, like, uh, where the hell was it in uh, Louisiana where she was uh, performing for uh, uh, Franklin Roosevelt and some Saturnalia magic ritual where this nightclub they were at, uh, burned up and but then the other ones uh, talks about he's he's in California and he's traced her to uh, Mount Palomar where you know it has that history of not only like Georgia Dampsky and flying saucers but he claimed even before that that the OTO had some type of uh, altar or temple set up there on Mount Palomar because it was like one of one of these energy points. Downer talks about that a lot in the book too, that these witches and these sorcerers are using these different uh, power points. And once again, that falls in line with the King Kill 33 stuff where they can channel these, uh, the energies and that, you know, that there's a story that they were using the Palomar telescope that was connected to Jack Parsons and uh, uh, JPL and that uh, group that, that they were performing rituals in there and that they were focusing the light of, uh, in uh, some tellings of the story, Saturn, other times they were focusing the light of Sirius, bringing in the power of the cosmos as part of these uh, cult rituals that were going on that the great whore, his former wife, was involved with. But then again, you know, he talks about these sometimes and it, he doesn't state for sure that he actually saw some of the stuff happen. He's just theorizing why was she at Mount Palomar? And he also traces some uh, prostitution ring uh, also is, uh, that were active in the, this area that uh, she was involved with. Yeah, you mentioned these uh, places of power and this kind of these kind of like geomantic ideas, and that's what I think is the most interesting about Downard is that he's enchanting the American landscape. Also, mm -hmm. he really elaborates on these ideas in here, which I was really surprised about. Yeah, and totally. I was I was really happy that he elaborated because I've I've encountered the same like cartographic mysticism in treasure hunting cultures where mm -hmm. you know they're they obsess over using these old topographical maps and 
uh, you know, place name and all this stuff. Another part of his methodology, which is mystical toponymy. And the idea is that um, these word uh, associations, this word wizardry, he has this idea that places are given names either based on some kind of power they had beforehand or to create some kind of power there. And that then when these events are orchestrated in these places, it amplifies the uh, the magical potential of what's going on. So he's he confirms that he's going through America while he's stalking the Great Whore. And uh, he is just uh, looking for weird place names. I think those place names are really like leading him into these symbol patterns that he explains. Mm -hmm. And he talks about this uh, in the book, he talks about this idea of the tessellation of the earth. So like in the Masonic lodge floor, the threshing floor uh, of the temple of Solomon, black and white tiles of tessellation. And like that that's carried over into the establishment of latitude longitude lines and that the numerology behind it and actual trigonometry that's based on x and y axes but has this mystical significance like all plays into this too so it's Mm -hmm. it's it's really wild but yeah i think he might have been around some treasure hunting circles also because (laughs) they have some of this the same obsession with secret societies focus on place names and numbers of latitude longitude etc so yeah he gets he gets pretty deep in the weeds all this jewish mysticism and stuff and a lot of it uh, i mean you explain that pretty well a lot of it goes over my head i don't know sometimes how accurate he is with a lot of the stuff he says and how historically accurate and, you know, it would have been great if I would have had the time to spend 10 years, you know, (laughs) actually. Yeah. And just uh, analyzing different paragraphs and stuff is, you know, is this really based on historical, uh, fact how much is he just kind of improvising here on certain themes is how much stuff is he throwing into this that isn't really based on you know historic fact i'm not really sure but he seemed to have a great grasp of a lot of you know different uh like i said for instance jewish mysticism and other yeah at least Egyptian his interpretation mis- um, Yeah, Egyptian mystery religions and on and on and on. And, uh, you know, there's also the people who wonder, well, how much help did he have with other people like Hoffman and Grimstead? You know, uh, did they write some of these chapters? How, how deeply were they involved in uh, some of this? Because, you know, you look at some of Downard's writings that right. I've seen. He's, bit, you know, obviously a very intelligent guy, but uh, some of the stuff I've read, he wasn't a real uh, adept or deft uh uh, writer, you know? Yeah. What do you, what so, do you think about the difference in style in here? Because I'm not, I mean, just, just as a primer real quick for the audience who may not be familiar with this stuff, his, his first writings that really 
came out were co-written uh, by Michael Hoffman and had, you know, definitely had Hoffman's style in it. And mm-hmm. you, can, you can recognize that Hoffman writes in this like really, really dramatic, almost like I would say it resembles like situationist and other ironically like radical leftist and post-marxist stuff (laughs) yeah (laughs) Um, so that's it's kind of strange but he you know he has hallmarks of his writing you can definitely identify it then in carnivals of life and death there's like a little bit of that sprinkled in but it's Mm -hmm. much more of like the pretty uh primitive not very great writing like you're saying i don't know why but like this is kind of in between but i don't really see hoffman in this material (laughs) well i think he is there but first off i ended up in the role as another editor you've had different editors you had uh for carnivals of life and death he had that lady uh she wrote like a book uh, about harp and some other stuff it'll come to me in a minute but so you had hoffman involved in this and probably grimstead at some level over the years, you know, he was helping formulate a lot of these moon ritual stuff. And so, and my, you know, my job in this, I thought I wanted to uh, make it a smooth read, you know. Uh, And so, you know, there was a lot of editorial things I did with just cleaning up the prose and making it read smoother, but also try to uh, make it sound like it's in Downard's voice or some type of consistent, uh, you know, consistencies as well, you know. So if if I gave you the rough manuscript of this, you would see where passages, several pages were pretty damn well written, you know. Hmm. Other ones were like, oh, my God, it's just repetitive and it's, you know, uh, really needs a lot of work on the prose. So, you know, I was dealing with that, too, was, you know, a balancing act of not changing it too much where it didn't seem like it was down or telling the story. Right. And this could all be also evidence of like a... um you know, someone who wasn't necessarily mentally stable and at, mm-hmm. at certain times was. You, you can see that. Yeah. You can see that in the book. And I tried to leave that in there too, yeah. where he'd go on little mini rants about stuff, you know? So there was that kind of balancing act to do that. So, you know, that's the kind of stuff that's progressed over a few years. It's like, ah, oh God, how am I going to handle this? You know, I, I would, you know, <laughs> I got halfway through it, you know, after a few years. And this is this even working. Do I want to do this? You know, <laughs> uh, and the, the, there's the element about the individuals <laughs> surrounding Downard and their reputation and how, you know, is it worth going through this? I haven't caught a lot of flack about any of that yet. And I really don't probably don't give a shit at this point. So, you know, it's all those type of things you have to weigh in when, uh, yeah, for sure. Doing a project like this. But um, even though there may be other versions of this, mm-hmm. um, it did appear to you, and it does seem that all of this were intended to be a collective body of work. Oh, yeah. A rough one. Definitely. Yeah. And uh, I didn't really, uh, I might have added a couple little <laughs> things here and there, you know, just to make it a little bit entertaining. And, but, uh, 
you know, it's it's basically taken from that manuscript, and that at times, uh, you know, I had to, like I said, had to do a lot of editing for some sections just to make it more readable and flow. And sometimes that consists of well, there's about ten pages here that are crap. Let's. Uh, and they're repetitive too, and I don't think it's adding that much to it. I think uh-huh. what maybe I will eventually do, you know, kicking around the idea with Spence and you know, getting some help with other people, uh, uh, putting out a another biography on Downard with everything we've learned here in the last uh, few years, and uh, at some point I might even just take this whole manuscript. And create a link where people can go read it. You know, if, if we do write a, if I do or with other people write a biography, then they can link directly to this manuscript to see what we're referring to, and people can see the raw, rough work. But mm-hmm. you know, there's there's a bit of uh, once again, you get on a little bit of a, a, a slippery slope there you know where people it's like people need to see that this work in context but also understand that i i don't promote the uh, protocols of the elders of zion and some of the other extreme uh stuff that uh, shows up in the raw manuscript yeah i mean extreme being you know what people see it could uh justifiably see as anti-semitic or you know racist uh, stuff yeah and in that i mean he's definitely a product of uh this is a continuation of you know anti-occult conspiracy theory and that has a a lot of baggage Mm -hmm. with it but and uh, a big part of it and it's become more evident that downard was uh you know a lot of this is based on john birch society stuff too yeah, yeah yeah right I mean, just uh, totally. I know Adam wanted to talk about the Trotsky chapter. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We'll get to it. We'll <laughs> okay. get to that. But, but actually, I wanted to ask you though. I am curious about this. Uh, what's the chronology of the writings? So, I mean, what comes mm-hmm. first cr- uh, chronologically? Mm-hmm. I mean, because okay. I mean, you know, King Kill, King Kill obviously is is published first, and then you got Carnivals of Life and Death. But of the three. When do you think that they were? You, you mentioned this was written primarily like seventy-two to seventy-six, and you okay. can tell because there's a lot of references to Watergate, Gerald mm-hmm. Ford. Yeah. yeah. Um, so you have the book in front of you. Yeah. 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 If you go you to see. the uh, like table of contents. Yeah. And if you go to uh, the. Uh, Last chapter, the mysticism, the mysticism of the necromancers, necromancers. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, what that, what is basically within that uh, chapter is King Kill thirty three. Right. Right. And originally, okay, with this, with uh, um, Hoffman got the. Uh, he had some version of this manuscript, but he uh, uh, particularly had that stuff in that uh, last chapter there. And it was in the original manuscript, it was chapter 13, the, what I have. And I saw in Downard's letter, he's mentioned uh, 
these were letters that uh, Downer wrote in the early 90s. He talked about, well, Hoffman edited chapter 13. Okay. Which, and so uh, the, the original uh, King Kill 33 came out of this chapter in, in uh, Stalking the Great Whore. And I don't think okay. even Hoffman is totally aware of it because so many years have passed. And actually, I got his permission. I told him, you know, one chapter here is basically the early version of King Kill 33. And he's, he was fine with it, you know, me using it for this book. So you're asking the chronology uh, of his writings basically this stalking the great horror, the other name it had the uh, sorcery, sex assassination and the science of symbolism was his first great work. And from all of this uh, came out of the other stuff, uh, the carnivals of life and death. Uh, yeah, that's a weird one. Uh, that was like another manuscript he had. And Alana Freeland is the one who edited it okay. for, uh, but there's another version of it that uh, Michael Hoffman put out that seems to be more of Downard's original writings. And I think he did that later maybe. And, but it's hard, <laughs> it's hard to say it was after, it was after this first uh, manuscript. And so then everything else, you'll see different articles and essays. It comes from this bulk of material here. Most of his writings, I guess, were probably in the 70s and maybe some stuff in the uh, 80s. There was a couple. There's the Carnivals of Life and Death and... There's also another thing called skullduggery. Mm -hmm. Like I was saying, I the manuscript I got were manuscripts, you know. <laughs> there was like, seems to be three different things on different typewriters. And I'm thinking the carnival of life and deaths maybe are part of this puzzle, too. It was all this stuff he wrote basically in the mid-70s. Things get chopped up and he loses stuff and working with different people on things it's yeah it's not but that seems so, to be the 70s is probably his most prolific period mm -hmm. yeah. and the stuff was kind of you know cut and paste from there and edited yeah. with other authors later on mm -hmm. yeah and by the 90s i have some letters he couldn't really even see that well by then you know so i it's obviously he did most of his writings once again, in the 70s and other people took that stuff and edited it. And I actually, we're talking about the carnivals of life and death. I prefer the version that Michael Hoffman put out of that, which I think is closer to Downard's writing. Uh, I don't want to uh, bash Elena Freeland, you know, because she did her own thing with that. But I, I kind of like the... Uh, version of Hoffman put out, which I think is closer to Downard's writing. Once again, we're getting pretty inside baseball here, but there's some Downard fanatics out there. They, yeah. Uh, well, that's what's, I mean, one of the things that's so compelling is that you've just got this like series of enigmas because the, his claims and his ideas are fascinating enough. Uh, and then you have the, you know, mysterious authorship, 
is actual historicity. I mean, it's there's so many mm-hmm. just a web of so many mysteries that uh you know makes it especially a great research project for someone like uh Spence, who I hope we get on uh later to talk about that uh about his chapter in there. Since he's not here, you want to just uh, give a a rundown to uh about Spence's uh essay in here and the history of that. Yeah, it's called The Limbo of Lost uh, Memories, and he he really uh, spends time, you know, going, th- looking through different materials. He uses different resources, you know, newspaper.com, chasing articles down, and uh, since, you know, U.S. censuses to... Uh, basically tracked down her during different periods and pulled has pulled up a lot of information. So it's kind of a blow by blow of uh, what uh, we know about Downard, what factual information we know about uh, Downard, where he was at certain times. And, you know, there's still a lot of uh, questions out there. And he's, he actually started working on this uh, essay. Have you of, uh, on downward maybe 10 years ago or so you know and we were communicating back then and uh when i got around to doing this book i you know asked if he could uh if i could use it for the book and uh so there you are in the course of writing this you know like i said once again editing it putting it together uh, he would learn new stuff, you know, so every couple of years it was like, hey, Rich, uh, could you update the afterward, you know, and add that this other stuff he just found. And uh, so uh, the version here that appears in Stalking the Great Whore is uh, pretty close to his latest version, but he's found out more things about Downard since, you know, since we published this as well, which... <laughs> He can talk about when you talk to him. One yeah. of the things that I've one of the things that I found particularly interesting was that Downard lived in my hometown for a little while in the forties. That is Chattanooga. Yeah. Oh. Yeah. He um, with the great whore. Him and the great whore <laughs> lived on a house on South Crest Road, which um, I looked on the map, and it's right down the street from where a relative of mine used to live. Have you went and looked at the house? No, I just found this out today. Oh wow! When I, when I read uh, Spitz's afterwards, so is the relative yeah. around or people who visited them? Um, yeah, I mean, yeah, I mean, well, you gotta ask they if don't, they ever went they down and went to a Tupperware party with the Great Whore. <laughs> well, no, I mean, this was it's not at the same time. Uh, <laughs> oh, okay, okay. But but yeah, I mean, I looked at I looked on Google Maps today and found found the house. Um, so yeah. Uh, that that kind of blew me away. Apparently, he was—I mean, he was—I guess—stationed at Fort Oglethorpe, which was at that time a working army base. Ah. I think this was like 1942, 1943, yep. Yep. something like that. So, yeah, there's been a lot of sleuthing going on with the once again Spence and uh, Nathan Isaac as well. We we're kicking stuff back and forth, and uh, he was real. Nathan was dubious for a while. Did this, was this even a real dude, you know, or were they just uh, was the group around him 
using him as a literary device and writing this stuff. And one of the right. things was the photo of uh, Downard on the carnivals of life and death, yeah. where you see see this uh, house behind him. Pretty nice uh, older style house. And uh, and I remember Nathan was started. Uh, we had we had an address from some. Uh, letters i had you know and so in my mind that kind of proved well you know if if they, somebody concocted this thing they were <laughs> using an address in nashville living there pretending to be downer you know it seems like uh, this would be too much work to go to go through to uh, concoct this whole thing around him. And the address we had, I remember Nathan had a uh, private detective around that area. Look, and I think they had the wrong address. They basically had the same name and numbers, but they had like uh, the South version of that, where the house was on the North version <laughs> of that street. And uh, I finally, I, got on Google's, you know, Google Earth one time, street addresses, and confirmed that uh, indeed uh, the house where Downard is posing in front of is the same address that was on his letters. So and that's where his sister owned that house. So, you know, that, that was one of the other things. That, uh, was he in Nashville or was he in Memphis? Oh, excuse me, Memphis. So we should talk about Trotsky. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so, well, and, and I want to, I want to also say this, that there's the, the first couple of chapters really kind of start off as a, or two or three chapters start off. I'm almost kind of like, just like carnivals of life and death. Yeah. Where he's talking about himself and he's talking about these outlandish stories that make it would make a really great movie. He's inserting and, himself and, around a lot of historical figures. And there's right, some, right, there's right. actually some couple paragraphs that are in carnivals of life and death yeah. that are in this. That's what I'm saying. The chronology of the writings, but anyway, yeah. So carry on. So he beats Trotsky. Mm -hmm. And what happens, what happened in Mexico? Yeah. Mexico city, I guess. What happens with Trotsky? This is where you can look at these writings and uh, <laughs> see it's kind of like uh, one theory I have. It's kind of semi-shared by Nathan and Rich maybe to some extent is that uh, part of this whole story was like uh, <laughs> a take on John Birch Society stuff that they were creating this narrative and downard was just a kind of device to push out this political propaganda yeah he was probably inundated with it at the time i mean mm -hmm. a lot of people would go to meetings they were getting uh I believe it's called american opinion there were bookstores so right and so uh, part of it has you know with the whole john birch society stuff if you've read none dare call it conspiracy uh there's a um uh, 
basically American industrialists and Wall Street people were funding both sides against each other. They were funding the communists and the Nazis, whatever. And it's all part of this thing to undermine the U.S. and turn us into socialists or whatever. So and that's kind of the deal. Then uh, you have the thing about the million-dollar gold certificates that uh, – Downer is always coming across, and it seems to have, and Downer also was, I guess, at uh, Jekyll Island when the uh, mm -hmm. Federal Reserve was formed. So it all deals with these themes that you see in John Birch Society literature about the gold standard and the manipulation of markets and the Federal Reserve is oh, a yeah. bad thing and on and on and on. And I think that all is all those elements are in the story about Trotsky and Trotsky. Once again, going back to none dare call it conspiracy was one of, he was funded by these uh, manipulators, the international bankers, the international Jewish banking conspiracy, some call it none dare call it conspiracy though. Um, <laughs> And so, anyway, this uh, chapter on Trotsky, uh, Downard's in Mexico, and it's not clear, he doesn't state the date exactly, but it appears to be like 1937 and 38, and he's with a girl he's traveling with. And it's obviously that's his wife, who he later called the great whore, and I don't know why he calls this girl he was traveling with this girl they were married at this time that's one you know another oddities about these yeah. writings what you know yeah, that's, that's odd <laughs> yeah right and so he uh, he's in uh, uh he's given these sweet deals uh he's looking for a place to stay and there's this mansion that's uh just opening up run by some lady he doesn't like but uh, you know, they're looking for people to stay there. It's going to become a like tourist resort or something like that. So, uh, anyway, he's got this prime like patio suite in this uh, mansion in Mexico City. And he's, uh, as Downer does often want to do, he's uh, now he's walking through the mansion looking around and he finds some safe or something that happens to be open with a bunch of these million dollar gold certificates, which he takes into his possession. <laughs> Considers these are great treasures. The million dollar certificates, you know, he doesn't say he's stealing them. He's just found them, came across them and they're, he wants to find out more about them. Are they really uh, things? And there actually was these things called the million dollar gold certificates. If you look on Wikipedia, <laughs> you can find information about the million dollar gold certificates. They were basically based on that old gold standard. And when sometime during, you know, when FDR was president, he basically got rid of that, uh, gold standard which you know pissed off a bunch of the industrialists and people because they want an alternative uh, monetary system 
I'm getting kind of seems like I'm going off on tangents, but these are the elements in these stories. So he comes across these million dollar gold certificates. He uh, basically uh, tells a few of his friends about them and he divvies them up into a couple batches and puts them in a couple banks in uh, Mexico. And now the Mexican seems like the Mexican government, the Masonic sorcerer and the Masonic witches are all after him to get these uh, million dollar gold certificates back, which becomes, you know, yeah, it's a story like in carnivals of life and death where he's like pulling out a uh, water gun with like, uh, some ink in it to squirt uh, his adversaries in the eyes and <laughs> takes their guns away from them. And <laughs> the water pistol ends... man. The water <laughs> yeah. man. Yeah. And then he ends up, uh, he finds out Trotsky is living there in Mexico City, which he was at the time. Uh, he doesn't know why Trotsky wants to see him, but there's an invitation and he goes, sees him, and there's this like elaborate or convoluted episode where Trotsky has these devices set up where he's going to electrify uh, Downard, but Downard turns the tables and he sees mm -hmm. what's going on. So he turns the switch and doohickey there and uh trotsky <laughs> ends up getting electrocuted and all the <laughs> his other goons and stuff uh downard uh tricks them but he also uh, uh finds out that his the girl he was with was also there at that wherever trotsky was at and there was a they were some hanky panky going on and uh you know, perhaps it was the beginning when she got uh, basically groomed or brought into that different, you know, the Masonic Sorcerer's Cult. And so there's that scene, and basically Downard takes off with uh, Trotsky is like, uh, he's passed out. He got zapped or whatever. It's not clear he died. It's, you know, it seems like he might have got zapped or whatever. But then later, in uh, later chapters in the book, it, Downard states that that device killed Trotsky. Right. Yeah, I, I, I read that. Yeah. <laughs> which it was so he it, actually which did. It, which yeah isn't. I mean, the story that. Uh, you know, main, mainstream, lamestream historians would want you to believe is that uh, <laughs> yep. some uh, political opponent with a hatchet chopped up uh, Trotsky or something like that. But it was the downer who actually was responsible, I guess. It's quite the claim to fame there. <laughs> so you can look at this chapter and it's like, okay, is this basically they're telling this... Uh, kind of John Birch Society narrative about the FDR and the communists and using Downard as, as this Walter Mitty type character, or was this something that Downard confabulated? What, he, he traveled a lot. Was he in Mexico City? He names different names of people that were there, you know, uh, and some of it checks out. I mean, that's why this stuff yeah. is so fascinating because you can't. So, so is it 
partly true that he met some of this people and he confabulated stuff or yeah it's just uh hard to know or is you know yeah (laughs) (laughs) um one one thing i want to talk about um before we probably get close to wrapping this up is um something that nathan isaac is really into of course and that's fucking cybernetics man Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, elaborating a little <laughs> bit on uh, Downard's belief that these emerging technologies that interface with the mind, uh, like these primitive implanted device or um, a continuation of uh, things from mesmerism to turn people into what he calls servo mechanisms, mm-hmm. this, this whole idea that you know, cybernetics is this is a continuation of sorcery. Well, yeah, that's the Masonic sorcerers who was doing that uh, stuff as compared to he talks about uh, two different types of witches. There's the more primitive witches and there's the more the cybernetic witches or he says are the Masonic sorcerers are bringing actual science into this taking. Yeah, the primitive witchery and bringing it to the 20th centuries with cybernetics and mind control uh, devices and also tapping into the earth's energies and et cetera, et cetera. Um, I don't know if (laughs) I have much more to add, but yeah, that's the, that's the basic uh, theme. And he real real interesting part of that. He had uh, discovered this, supposedly through his own uh, this uh, dangerous web he got caught up in. Right. And I think Spence has been looking into a lot of that too, right? As far as uh, that he may have this kind of inside view because he was actually trying to create these types of technologies (laughs) that I guess could have been used for something like this. You know, I'd be best to uh, get... Uh, Spence to talk about that because yeah, he could yeah. rattle it off off the top of his head, but he's found well. There's different people. There's also a researcher named Reed Marcus who found this article about Downard and his involvement. It's kind of like he's a mad scientist dude in this uh, article from an uh, Arizona newspaper and this device he came up with called the Ultrason, which ties into all of this stuff and was one of the big revelations that's come here the last couple of years is that Downard was kind of, in some of his rants, he's projecting, it seems like, because he was trying to create the same sort of uh, technology that he is uh, admonishing these other people (laughs) about uh, basically to tap into human potential. And uh, I mean, that was the positive benefits by whatever tuning your brain to a certain frequency or some of the stuff, you know, Downard almost seemed like he was a, uh, contemporary of Jack Parsons, almost of in a sense of uh, um, uh, what's the word? Blending these different things, uh, mm-hmm. occult type stuff, into modern day science. 
Yeah. Even hints at being, you know, caught up in, in that occult mess or something like that. I recall mm-hmm. reading. So, so there's a question yeah. as to if he was, uh, you know, what side he might've been on at one point. <laughs> True. Yeah. As we, we wind this down, I want to just read a passage that particularly struck me. <laughs> uh, there's Serfiel refuses to uh, read a passage in his downer voice. I think Serfiel should read the passage in okay. his downer voice. <laughs> it, it, if you want to do it, Serfiel, you're more welcome. But I will just say that, like, there is some serious, um, there's a lot about sex and there's yeah. a lot about the, there's a lot about, uh, about you know talk about people's butts and his well, like butt. like and, you and there's know, all kinds of stalking just... the great whore and like adam was right was saying right. to me earlier today uh he was like man this guy is just like obsessed with sex <laughs> but, yeah. i mean it's about essentially the at the root of this you know sorceress religion that he thinks rules the world it really is a fertility cult uh, that's what he thinks. Mm-hmm. So right, everything right. Yeah. really does revolve around sex. Yeah, right. I didn't even get into that part of it yet, but exactly, yeah. Uh, what what page was that on, Adam? Uh, it is the bottom of page thirty and the top of page thirty-one. Okay, I'm gonna try to do. And that. I, it was on, if it was on page thirty-three, I would have really loved oh, it. Oh man. And I, I appreciate you blowing out your voice for this, but you did this earlier and it was yeah. hysterical. So, okay. Yes. yes. I've done something similar before in here. This, and this is from, um, of course, there are audio recordings of James Shelby Downard on what is called the uh, Serious Rising tape. So that's right. where I, I learned this, right. this, uh, this effect here. <laughs> he spent okay. a lot of time listening to them. So that's. <laughs> and it definitely is of a. Um, that's been characterized as, as Appalachian, I think one of the uh, mm. Penny Royal guys said. But it oh, also, okay. uh, it reminds me of some kind of high society Tennessee folks. It would mm-hmm. kind of fit into it. It's it's kind of from another era, though, right? You yeah, don't hear for sure. people talk like that anymore. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so here we go. Then I recalled quite clearly that a great number of years ago, I had suffered severe pain that extended from my rectum through the sacrum along the spine and up behind both ears. I obtained some relief by contracting and expanding the anal muscles a great number of times each day for several weeks. The expanding and contracting of my asshole muscles brought about a great deal of gas elimination and I thought that somehow the excessive gas might have been the cause of my pain. Then, an abscess between the rectum and scrum came to a head, and from it I pulled a fine wire approximately 10 inches long. The wire was undoubtedly implanted in me by way of a long hollow needle, and I have every reason to believe that this procedure was done at Walter Reed Hospital. Brilliant. I, I had to put myself in mute there, so I wasn't cracking up. <laughs> that was that's Adam's favorite part. It, yeah, yeah, it is. I, do, I, I read do, that and died. 
But yeah, I, mean, I don't. Has- I don't. I don't know if I laugh so much when, I, you know, because I, uh, like I said, I was editing this forever, so I went through passages again and again. But that definitely was one that struck me as odd. <laughs> you know. Yeah, I mean that'd be a pretty pretty creepy experience. But uh, let's hope that he wasn't the one doing that to people at some point. Yeah, turning uh, people into servo mechanisms. I mean, I'm. Well, I- I'm sure we're going to find out even more. Uh, yeah, hopefully you get to talk to uh, Spence. He can fill in uh, mm. some more of the information. Uh, I mean, he's he's, he, uh, he's much better than uh, I am at, uh, since he's like dealt with a lot of the uh, timeline of Downard and a lot of the uh, factual information to kind of give you that uh, background on the man. Yeah, he's one of the best scholars I know of who deals with very murky areas and tries mm-hmm. to suss out <laughs> some kind of you know historical facts out of that. Story. Yeah, I could too if I studied up for a few days and knew I was going <laughs> to give a presentation. But you know me, I'm always bouncing around working on some other projects. So well, once speaking this- of, you gave an excellent presentation on some of this stuff and a little bit of a preview of some of this material at the Strange Realities Conference last year. So we really enjoyed that and enjoyed thanks. Having, I, I don't have new natural. I'm critical of myself. I didn't come off as. Uh, as well as I thought it could have, but you know, I tried. Well, we thought it was great, <laughs> and and I say that because, uh, you know, doing public speaking sometimes, uh, uh, some sometimes you just uh, I've done some, you know, where you you're so familiar with the topic, you can just kind of roll with it, and uh, everything will come to your you know the tip of your tongue when you need it and after i i gave that presentation there for you guys it was like oh man i forgot this forgot that but you know the information i shared was some of it was probably new to a lot of folks you know so oh yeah that was good yeah yeah a lot that i'd never heard before and i mean it a lot of it made perfect sense really Mm -hmm. So I think I told you that after uh, when we were talking at the hotel. Right, right. Yeah, it does. When you look at the whole psychological situation surrounding uh, Downard, now there seems to be a lot in the material. There's a lot of projection, you know, things he talks about and what was really going on in his life, you know. Well, Adam, I want to thank you for coming on as always. This has been a great show. Uh, We'll, I guess that we'll just reconnect with uh, Dr. Spence. We'll get him on at some later date, talk a little bit more downward, I guess. I I think you uh, should too bad. He didn't make it. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I don't. Yeah. Well, I hope everything's all right, but but, um, what's next for you and where can people find stalking the great horror and all your other books? So I would tell them, um, Normally, when looking for my books, uh, you know, go to Amazon, punch in Adam Go Rightly. But this one's a, this, uh, stalking the great whores a little different. I think it's easier just to uh, search James Shelby Downer since he's the main author and stalking the great whore. Then it will uh, pop up. And that's basically where it's available is through uh, Amazon. Um, yeah. And so, uh, 
Shucks. I'm working on a few things, which I told you guys off the air, but uh, I don't want to talk. I'm not ready to talk about them yet, but uh, other than that, yeah, I'm just. uh, Big things. We'll just put it that way. Yeah. And Sir Feel is going to hopefully assist me with one here because it deals with uh, the area he's living in now. Which can't be disclosed since he's in a secret bunker there. But right, right. That's right. Well, that's right. In my, my conspiracy Quonset hut. <laughs> <laughs> uh, that's good. Yeah. Well, are you still uh, your 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 websites are still up, all available? And yep, there's AdamGoRightly.com, and there's Untamed Dimensions, and there's one that uh, maybe not everybody knows about uh, is Chasing UFOs which I'm kind of putting probably blogging the most to recently in the last year or so. Then there's Historia Discordia, which deals with uh, Discordianism and Carrie Thornley. There's a lot of material there for people into that uh, subject. There's the uh, film, the, the Hill and the Hole. People should oh, check yes. out if they got mm-hmm. Amazon Prime. I play the uh, role of Roger Person, a uh, Masonic uh, cult leader, serial killer, uh, funnel cake uh, maker. Directed by Chris Ernst and yes. co-starring Tim Banal. Yep. Bill Darman is uh, co-director on the film with Chris Ernst. Excellent film. Definitely everyone should go check that out, too. And I can't think of anything else. All right. Well, guys, uh, that's it. Thanks for listening to this episode of Conspiranormal. Again, the usual spiels. Uh, Strange Realities Conference tickets will be going on sale soon. That's going to be November 3rd through the 5th of 2023 at SIR. And then one day uh, just online. And uh, and I also produce a YouTube channel, Nevaeh's Nightmare. You guys can go check that out as well, part of Strange Reality's family. And we also have our Patreon, which Surfiel can tell you guys about. Um, by the time this comes out, we would have had our first Strange Reality's online streaming event. Right, right. I'm sure um, it went well. That uh, can be attended for free for members of the Mystic Crew at the $10 pledge level. Over at patreon.com slash normal. The uh, $5 level gets you uh, exclusive uh, Patreon episodes going back a few years now. Um, tons of episodes on there. Uh, for the $5 level, you get to join the International Association of Conspiranormalists, the aforementioned $10 Mystic Crew. And at the $20 level, you can join the ancient circle of strange realities of which uh, Adam Go Rightly is rumored to be a member of. But you'll have to oh, okay. find out. <laughs> That's He's at patreon.com slash conspiranormal. He's such a secret member, he didn't even know. <laughs> All right, guys. Thanks so much for joining us. Uh, next week, we've got AP Strange coming back. We're going to talk about exorcisms outside of the Catholic Church. And so join us next time on Conspiranormal.